You're listening to 90.1 KPFT. We are gathered here today to uh, <laughs> join this bride in this group. What is this? <laughs> wedding music? <laughs> yeah, the, you know, the Bruce Springsteen trip. Oh, was it, was it yeah. uh, Jungle Land or something like that? Yeah, that was uh, Thunder Road, actually. But, Thunder Road. Uh, yeah, the computer's down. Yeah. The computer is down. No theme music today. But we are up. Welcome to the New Capital Show, everybody. It is... A few minutes after 3 p.m. here on Thursday, September 6th. And I hope you are having a great day today. And um, and I hope things are going well for you. Uh, I was away for the Labor Day weekend. And I want to thank the great, great Wally James for, for filling in for me. Uh, Wally is an incredible class act. I called him, I don't know, maybe a uh, day of or day before and said, listen, Wally, I'm, I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be out of town. I totally forgot to arrange for my replacement. And without blinking, he absolutely said, I will be happy to help. And he, uh, he sat in for me and, uh, carried New Capital Show last week. So, my thanks to uh, really one of our station's true class acts. He really is. <laughs> I wish I was as classy as Wally. <laughs> On it, <laughs> I wish I could get some of that some of that uh, class, but but I don't have it. Uh, but I but I keep trying, and and uh, and when you listen to Wally and you watch Wally, you learn 
all about you learn all about class and i don't mean that in the economic sense of class i mean in the in the uh manners and demeanor so thanks to wally we're going to take your calls in just a few minutes let me give you the number 713-526-5738-526-KPFT and uh I think because we are in the throes of these two major political party conventions, the the Democratic convention is going to culminate this evening in just a few hours with a speech by President Barack Obama. Um, and, of course, last week was the Republican convention. I have to tell you, I did not catch, frankly, any of the Republican convention live or on television. I was just so busy that uh every single night we were we were getting ready to go out of town and we had to pack and getting kids packed and and, the, and like you know getting kids unpacked and all that it it just uh it just took me away but I did see some of the highlights so I'm counting on you all the listeners today to share your thoughts about that convention if you saw it and also your thoughts about the the democratic convention I have uh, caught the keynote speeches over the last couple of nights and am prepared to at least you know, say a few, a few words, um, a few words about them. We had a great time. We went to Seattle, Washington. Uh, my niece got married. Man, Seattle in the summer. Whoa! If you have not been to Seattle in the summer, you are really missing it. Uh, frankly, Seattle anytime, but but in the summer, it is absolutely glorious. Uh, 40s and 50s, really 50s in the evenings, 70 degrees is the high during the day, Doyle. Um, we, we went up to Bellingham, Washington, which is an incredible place, a uh, town of about 70,000 people, beautiful old buildings, sits right on Puget Sound. Uh, the, the combination of water and, and, and big water, you know, ocean-type type water, and mountains and farms, the farmland there. You know, here in Texas, we're always sort of beaten down, and it's it's always kind of hot, and and everything's dehydrated and wilted. Uh, there, you know, the dairy cows are walking through these pastures of of bright, bright lime green grass, and they're just eating that grass, and and uh, the the vineyards, everything is just exploding with uh with bounty and the weather is just perfect it was incredible ferries i took my kids we went on the ferry so we took a ferry from seattle to bainbridge island and then we took another ferry back from whidbey island and what an amazing uh urban culture to be able to you know just pay your five bucks hop on a ferry and and cross a big body of water with the pacific ocean wind Blowing, it is. It is an amazing, amazing place, and um, and like so many places, uh, deserves to be preserved. <laughs> um, there's a point I'm talking about Seattle in this way because Seattle's done a very, very good job of preserving these places. Not perfect by any means. It's a city that's challenged uh, by growth. A lot of people want to live there. But Seattle is a city that has been very, very progressive in in preserving the bounty that it has. <clears throat> and one of the reasons I do this radio show is I believe so strongly in preserving the beautiful things in this world. And I know so so many of you do as well. And it's a heavy burden for, for us aesthetes, those of us who love the beauty of the world, the beauty of nature, the beauty of art the beauty of peace the beauty of family and friends it's hard for us to hear so much of the news in the world but we keep trying which is why we have uh, kpft and why i love to come and do this one hour a week with you let's get to the conventions um and I saw Bill Clinton last night. I don't know if any of you saw Bill Clinton last night, but that guy is something else. Uh, I watched it. I watched him from start to finish. I've seen Bill Clinton speak one time. Uh, uh, I don't remember when it was. He may have still been president. I think he was maybe back around 1998 or so. And that guy 
can absolutely take over a room. I watched it, and and he just some people have it, and that guy has it. And I, I watched last night. He ate that room alive uh, with with what for for many would be a very prosaic talk about details about Medicare and details about debt negotiations and details um, about. Um, uh, the health care plan and details about uh, jobs and the history of job creation by both parties and and it was an absolute to me tour de force of how to make a speech about complicated issues and convey them in an absolutely galvanizing way and uh, so I'll be interested to hear what your thoughts on Bill Clinton's speech were are. Uh, I, I thought he was absolutely, in, uh, I, I thought he was masterful. Uh, Doyle, we have a clip of some of it prepared, right? So let's let's That's just right. to get just to give people a flavor of what Bill Clinton sounded like last night. If you didn't hear it, uh, let's go to the tape and 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 let people hear a little bit of it. Okay, here we go. I want to nominate a man who's cool on the outside. But who burns for America on the inside. Don't you ever forget when you hear them talking about this. That Republican economic policies quadruple the national debt before I took office. In the 12 years before I took office. And double the debt in the eight years after I left. We simply cannot afford to give the reins of government to someone who will double down on trickle down. People ask me all the time how we got four surplus budgets in a row. What new ideas did we bring to Washington? I always give a one word answer. Arithmetic. President Obama plus four and a half million. Congressional Republicans, zero. So, here's another job score. Are you listening in Michigan and Ohio and across the country? Here, here's another job score. Obama, 250,000. Romney, Z, Who's right? Well, since 1961, for 52 years now, the Republicans have held the White House 28 years. The Democrats, 24. In those 52 years, our private economy has produced 66 million private sector jobs. So, what's the job score? Republicans, 24 million. Democrats, 42. I want a man who had the good sense to marry Michelle Obama. I want Barack Obama to be the next president of the United States. And I proudly nominate him to be the standard bearer of the Democratic Party. There you go. There's uh, Bill Clinton, some of the some of the soundbite nuggets from his speech last night. Uh, but I found the speech to be far more interesting than, than just those uh, sort of gotchas. <clears throat> When he got into the details of the policies, and, and in fact, he, in some ways, he conducted a point-by-point -point rebuttal of the Republican uh, convention itself. Uh, literally, point-by-point, point, the the main points that were hit in the Republican convention, as I understood it, as I, and again, I didn't watch the convention live. I read it. I watched clips. Uh, but but Clinton <clears throat> proceeded in, a, in an almost one-hour speech. I think it was to take on each of these points in a way that I thought was uh, was very understandable, could be understood by by those who were watching. Of course, much of the focus now is on <coughs> is on economics, right? We do a show called New Capital Show. It focuses on economics. We're not talking about foreign policy anymore. Just go back to 2004, right, with the war, war in Iraq that the U.S. had launched, uh, the war in Afghanistan that was then, of course, still ongoing and is still ongoing. Uh, 
and George W. Bush running for re-election against John Kerry, the points were almost all exclusively that election was run on foreign policy and, you know, terrorists and are you safe? And here we are in 2012, and the discussion by both parties is all about economics, and it is focusing in one area in particular, and that is middle-class jobs. Middle-class jobs, because it is the middle class in this country that that has been squeezed, as I have been talking about for many years now, real wages, wages after inflation has taken account of have been flat for really almost 20 years now. And I don't know how a lot of people are making it, frankly. Uh, I do pretty well. I'm a financial advisor. Uh, and and uh, I got to tell you, um, <laughs> you know, after I pay for schools and, and, and uh, just basic sorts of things, grocery stores, uh, a bit of travel a few times a year, uh, try to put some into my own retirement account. I got to tell you, I, I, I don't know how people are making it on $50,000. And frankly, frankly, uh, our family would be hard-pressed <clears throat> to make it on $100,000. Um, and that is the story of the middle class. The middle class has been absolutely squeezed. And it just so happens that this is where this election is turning it's turning specifically in a few ground zero places like Ohio, uh, middle class areas of Ohio where there are large numbers of voters who could go either way. And what these conventions have been about is th- trying to use television to get through to middle class voters. I think the consensus that I'm seeing out of, of most observers this morning is that uh, Bill Clinton was a fairly, uh, not fairly, he was an extremely effective, extremely effective advocate for President Obama and the Democratic Party uh, last night, pointing out that uh, since 1960, I think it was, 66 million private sector jobs have been created, uh, uh, two-thirds of those roughly created by uh, Democrats, one-third created under Republican presidents, even though Republicans have held the presidency for 28 years versus the Democrats 24. Now, who knows? That could be due to the vagaries of the business cycle and the coincidence of who holds office at that time. But still, Clinton tried to make the point that this is not a coincidence, that there is a very real reason why Democrats are able to create jobs, because Democrats, as Clinton pointed out, and as many Democrats over this convention have been trying to point out, we are in this together. This is the point, and I am very, you know, pleased to see that the Democrats are making this point. I'd be pleased if the Republicans were making this point. So, so don't don't call me and say, you know, listen, Leo, this is KPFT, and you're making partisan statements. I would be pleased for any political party to make the statement that we are in this together, because it's because it is it is in accord with my spiritual beliefs as a Buddhist. It is the way that I understand that the world works it is the way that the world works as i've said so many times i challenge anybody out there go ahead go out in your own backyard and i'd like you to make a modern pencil go ahead if you can do it yourself produce for me right now with your hands a modern pencil hey that's a very small thing i'm not asking you to make a microchip okay i'm not asking you to build me a table i'm not asking you to create a radio station just make me a pencil, please. It's got to be wood. It's got to have a nice graphite uh, inner. It's got to have a metal flange and a, and, a, and a rubber eraser. It's got to have yellow paint on it, and I want it engraved with, uh, you know, I don't know, my name on it, your name. Go ahead, make a pencil. You cannot make a pencil on your own. Okay? You cannot do it. The eraser alone probably will take you 100 different discrete industrial processes, chemical processes. Distillations. Refinements. You cannot make a modern pencil. So we are all interconnected. You want pencils? It's going to take a lot of people to make you that pencil. And I was pleased and am pleased to see that that is a major theme of this, of this convention. 
by the Democrats. Remember, the Republicans had been taking on President Obama when he made the comment somewhere in one speech he made when, when he was talking about somebody's business. And he said, you know, you didn't make that business. And Republicans have jumped all over that. And I think it's absolutely right that Democrats are using this convention to say, well, wait, we want to clarify this. Yes, you want to start a business, it is going to take a lot of effort from you, and your effort is key and critical, and we respect it. I started, I started a business. I've started numerous businesses, and it ain't easy. And, yes, it takes somebody to start the business. But it takes a lot more than just that somebody to start that business if that business is going to succeed. Because I can tell you that any business that is started and depends only on one person ain't going to be in business for very long. <laughs> it's going to be out of business. And I, for one, would not want to be an investor in any business where the person is going and saying, I'm going to make that business. You're not going to get my money. All right? And I'm pleased to see that that is the point that is being made in Charlotte. We, we, we are all in this together. And we, to me, means everybody and everyone in the entire world. We're all in this together. Should we take a quick break, Doyle, or should we go straight to the phones? Your 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 call today. Let's go to the phones. All right, let's do it. Seven one three five two six five seven three eight. We are almost full up here. We've got one line open. Uh, I'm going to take Ann first on line two. Ann, welcome to the New Capital Show. Hey, how are you? I'm good. What's on your mind? Well, you know, Bill Clinton is one of the few people that can take very wonky material and just kind of leave you you know, hanging on the edge of your seat wanting more. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> it's very, very compelling. Yeah. And his um his facts everything he lays out is very methodical and it's 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 pretty simple for anyone to follow. And that's a special talent. That takes a special um you know, that takes that's a special gift. Because that's not easy to do. And I wanted to, to say to you, you were up in Bellingham and I know you were there for a, a visit a personal kind of thing, but um, did you get a chance to see any of to see any of the the White Dog Cafe? And um, I don't know if you're familiar with Bally. And, Be and uh, you're asking about Bellingham, Anne. Mm -hmm. We went yeah. to a place. Uh -huh. We went to a place for lunch called the Mount Bakery. Oh, you know what? I see. You know these um, up in Bellingham, they have what's called. They started. Valley up there, I think, the mm -hmm. Business Alliance of Local Living Economies, uh -huh. and it's just local businesses, and the fact that you got a chance to go over to Whitby and uh, Bainbridge, man, that is Something awesome. else, isn't it? <laughs> it's awesome. It is you know, awesome. Lucky, and lucky, lucky you. So it, it is. You know, it'll be interesting to see <laughs> tonight what happens, you know, with President Obama yep. and his speech, you yep. know, how do you, how do you come back and you know, top that. I don't know. <laughs> it will be interesting, Ann. Thanks for the call. Great great to hear you. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, Mount Baker is the backyard mountain <clears throat> in Bellingham, and it's, uh, I don't know, it's probably about 30 minutes away from Bellingham. Big, massive mountain. Uh, what can you say? People, people there get to go skiing, and they get to go hiking in wildflower meadows, and yeah. Yeah, it's really something. But listen, we are where we are. I'm here at KPFT right now. I am happy to be here. And uh, I am totally grateful to have uh, the listeners in Houston, Texas, supporting our radio station uh, here in Houston. It, it, is, um, it is an honor and a pleasure to be with you today. 713-526-5738. Let's take Eddie holding on line three. Eddie, welcome to the New Capital Show. Hey, Leo. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great job you're doing. Thank Listen, you. Uh, a couple of quick things. Uh, first of all, no question that the president knocked it out of the park yesterday. Did a great, great job. Uh, <clears throat> I did want to point out, though, it's kind of funny that unlike Paul Ryan's speech, nobody's jumping on to try to uh, check his facts, call him a liar, say that he uh, misguided or misspoke in any way, shape, or form. And you know if the Republicans could do it, they'd be all over him. Um so I just wanted to point that out. And the other thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, let me let me just topic. let me let me just jump in, Eddie. Um, Bill Clinton strikes me as the kind of guy who he is who 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 has been 
a liar in his private life. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Uh, we know that about Bill Clinton. He he was he he was a liar in his private life. Uh, I'm not saying he is now. The man is. Uh, how old is Bill Clinton now? He must be. Uh, He's in the 60s. Late, yeah. late 60s, uh, maybe even be 70. I, I yeah. don't know. Um, but I don't think that Bill Clinton has ever been the type of guy who's, what is he? Doyle? 66. 66. All right, so he's pretty young still. Uh, but Bill Clinton never struck me as the kind of guy who was a liar about the issues. No, he's a he, policy wonk. He, he's the kind of guy, that's yeah. why you want the smartest guy in the room to be in charge. Yeah, he always struck me as a guy who was very determined to to learn what the deal was, learn what the facts were, and then he took he takes a pride in presenting a truthful representation of those of those issues and those facts. And as the previous caller said, in a method in which he can break it down to where everyone can digest it, whether right. you're a policy wonk or not. He's an incredible, incredible orator. Right. And let me just add to that that any man, I don't care who you are, any man caught in a situation that he was caught in, he's going to lie through his teeth, too. I don't care who you are, Republican, Democrat, pious or atheist. You get caught cheating on your wife, you're going to lie about it. And anybody that says otherwise is a damn liar. But let me. one other thing I wanted to bring up, and I don't know if this is off topic, but... Um, you were talking about how beautiful Seattle is and all that. And I'm a very proud native Texan. I love Texas, but I also realize that there are other parts of the country that are just, just beautiful, uh, wonderful. Um, I did want to bring this up, though. My native Texan pride wonders why Paul Sadler or other people are not making as big a deal about the fact that Ted Cruz is Canadian. He's from Canada. Mm-hmm. What self-respecting Texan would want a Canadian to represent the Lone Star State in the U.S. Senate. Eddie, thanks for thanks for the call. That up. Thank you, sir. Um, I, I'm I don't care where people are from, uh, Eddie. I I'm okay with people <laughs> from Canada moving to Texas, making a life here, and and uh, running for office. I I applaud that. Um, I I uh, I got nothing. I got. I got no problem with that. Uh, uh, I'm born and bred here. I don't think that I have any more right to office here in the state of Texas than somebody who came here to uh, make a life and form a family. So, um, so I, I don't, I don't agree with, uh, I don't agree with that uh, perspective. I don't know the details uh, about. Uh, was it uh, Ted Cruz? Uh, I don't, I don't know the exact details, but, but I, that wouldn't disqualify him for me other things would but not that um as for bill clinton uh the tragedy of bill clinton of course is that is that uh is that <clears throat> he has such prodigious skills and had them when he was president and and yet he um you know he he allowed his uh, personal issues to get in the way of his holding of the office and I think for many, many people, it was uh, it was a squandered opportunity to take care of lots of issues that he was uniquely qualified to do, uh, and and um, and so so that was that was the uh, that was the real issue with that presidency. And I think a lot of people, when they see, see Bill Clinton last night speak, they feel you know this what what might have been. Uh, at the same time, Bill Clinton has gone on to be an extraordinarily active. Statesman with the Clinton Foundation and is an is an amazing fundraiser for causes all across the world and and he is working on issues that need to be worked on in the area of social justice in the area of health uh, in the area of environment and we really need it two two articles in the New York Times over the past two days have really really upset me articles about the destruction of elephant herds in Africa maybe you saw this article it became one of the most emailed articles and an article today saying that the population of wild elephants in vietnam is now basically extinct uh... they're down to a few dozen elephants and uh... just a few weeks ago the final <clears throat> male in the herd was killed by poachers and all of this is happening uh... to sell ivory to chinese to chinese buyers um, I frankly think it's not just about ivory. I think it's 
about land. If you think back to the 19th century and the destruction of the bison herds in the United States, it was done right by what? By marauding poachers, the same poachers who are destroying elephants in African national parks. Even the rangers are outgunned, according to this article. It's a terrible, distressing thing. Makes me makes me feel like what has become of this world uh, that we are destroying the last elephant herds. Um, and yet, in the nineteen in the eighteen uh, eighties, in the destruction of the American bison herd, <clears throat> it wasn't really about the bison. It was about the land. It was about taking and occupying that land that had been Native American land and buffalo land, bison land, and taking it and replanting it with wheat and corn and uh, and cattle, uh, domesticated cattle. And so um, I think people need to understand when you see these extinctions that are going on of wild animals that it is not really about the, the ivory or the other things. That That is what induces people to do it. But the larger force that is going on is people want that land to convert it over for soybeans or some other agricultural use. And my guess is that that's what we're now seeing happen. We're seeing it in South America, <clears throat> and I'm sure we're seeing it now in Africa as well, where where we are getting um, – we are trying to plant the entire world to, su- to sustain the population of humans. And that's why our perspectives here at KPFT are so important. We believe that there is room for other species in the world. We believe that there is room for birth control. We believe that there is room for family planning. We believe uh, that women should have the right to choose – uh, according to American law early on, whether they wish to bring a child uh, into the world or whether they wish to terminate a pregnancy through abortion. We believe these things at KPFT. 713-526-5738. We believe these things because we want a better world, not a worse world. 713-526-5738. Barry is holding. Barry, welcome to the New Capital Show. Yes, can you hear me clearly? I can. Uh, okay, Sick Willie certainly has a way with words, but I think he was fast and loose with the facts. Okay. Three points here. Granted, there were 4.5 million jobs created, but he convened the left out, there were 5 million jobs lost. So there's still a half million jobs in the hole. Beyond that, the jobs lost were high. Wait, 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 wait. Hang, hang on, Barry. Yeah. No, 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 no. I want you to give us the math again. Get, go back, and, and so you're saying he there said, he said there were jobs lost. Five million jobs lost. We created 4.5 million since inauguration. But those jobs, the five million that were lost, were lost during the Bush presidency. No, they were lost inauguration. I'm sorry, they were lost when? They were lost since Barack Obama was in the White House. Um, uh, I was seeing the facts. Anyway, I, I'm, I, I want to move on. Okay, go ahead. I'm, I'm not sure that's true, but... but no, uh, I, I know it's true. Okay. So, in the lost jobs that were lost were high-paid manufacturing jobs. Jobs created were at McDonald's, Subway, and the car wash. All right, two. There have been more added to the deficit under Barack Obama than the two Bushes and President Reagan's two terms combined. It's not true. That is true. He's added six trillion dollars of deficit. We went from from nine trillion dollars now to seven trillion. We went from nine trillion dollars when he came in to sixteen trillion now. I, I don't think that's true, Barry. I think I know it's true. I was seeing you the facts, sir. I'm not making it up. Yeah, I think that the majority of our debt uh, was no. was. Um... I didn't say the majority. I said the six. Seven trillion dollars since Obama came into office came on Obama's term. Uh, From nine trillion dollars to sixteen trillion dollars. That's our, no question. That yeah, our debt. Okay. Uh, on the auto bailout, the CBO says that the thirty-five billion dollars of that is money we'll never see again. So even that was botched. How, how how much we'll never see again? Thirty-five billion dollars of debt we'll never see again. So even that was botched. As Paul Ryan said, absent new leadership, why would anybody think the next four years? Are going to be indifferent from the but, last but, four years. But Barry, so let me ask you this: the um, I, I don't know whether the face value on uh, on the investments in in uh, GM and Chrysler and so forth will make it back. Um, we'll well, see. The CBO knows. Well, the, no, no. <laughs> listen, I'm a, I'm I'm a professional financial advisor. Let me tell you. Okay. The, and the CBO is in big numbers now. No, no. Well, let me hang on. Let me let me talk. Do you want to have a conversation, or you want to you want to you want to have a monologue? Okay. All right, right, go ahead. Okay, so so um, the the if we go back to uh, April and May of this year, I can't tell you the number of professional uh, financial advisors, market watchers, and so forth who who would have told you that um, that stocks are are toast because uh, of Europe and so forth, and how many people uh, followed on that advice. 
and and what we've seen is that stock markets worldwide have have gone up about 15 percent since that time i'm just saying the cbo is making a prediction that we may not see that money that may be the case um the u.s uh government investments in and and you can look at just the auto companies but to me you've got to look at the other actions that were taken there was preferred stock that was bought in banks uh there have been mortgage bonds that were bought in 2008 2009 to shore up that market if you look at the entire panoply of of private market investments that the US government made over the time frame it's it's a it's a it's a huge amount of profit that's been gained so we can focus only on the car companies now the other thing i'd say about the car companies bill clinton pointed out last night it was not just about the car companies it, it was also about all of the auto parts and the dealers and the rest of it and so the investment, the investment the government was making was not just about keeping GM afloat. There were knock-on, there were hang, hang on, there were knock-on effects that would have happened had the auto companies gone out of business. And I don't think you can deny that our car companies are now not just back on their feet, but they're thriving. Do you deny that? But that was not the Republican Party's position. The Republican Party's position was that General Motors and Chrysler should be made to go into the private market and get their money the same way Ford did. No one in the Republican but Party no, said but, they wanted but no, but to no, be But nobody was willing to step up, Barry. Okay, well, that's not the tax the, the, the problem. If General Motors cannot get any money from Bank of America or Chase Bank of Bank One by putting up the plant, then General Motors was in sorry shape. How in the but, world but Barry, do you I want job? Barry, do you want do you do you want jobs for people in Michigan and Ohio, or do you not? No, no one said they wanted General Motors on a business or supply. But the last two points I want to make is this. <laughs> The next okay. four years, we would have met high taxes, gay marriages, unlimited abortion. The same girl can have eight, nine, ten abortions, partial birth abortions, and unsecure borders, and the laughing stock on the world stage. So we all should be in, in together to make sure we get four more years of Barack Obama. Is that what you are? Uh, give, give me your list again. Unlimited abortion. Unlimited abortions, eight, nine, and ten for the same girl. Unlimited partial birth abortions. Gay marriages. Fifty-year-old bill better pervert right to marry and hump eighteen-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. High taxes, unsecured borders, and the laughing stock on the world stage. These oh, are the next uh, four oh, years. Okay, so to if we put you know, like. So I, I take it you were not convinced by Bill Clinton last night as you as you started. So here we have an impeached ex-president. All right, I, I would have been embarrassed to be in the same room with him. Barry, thanks for the call. Thank you. Okay. Um, so let's take. You want to take a quick music break, uh, Doyle? Yes. Yeah, Couple sure. minutes. We'll come right back and we'll uh, take calls. Scott Rex, Earl Lidney, seven one three five two six five seven three eight. 526-KPFT. Uh, this is the New Capital Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back. Uh, uh, speaking to Barry's uh, point about job losses, um, 
Barack Obama took office in January of 2009. <clears throat> that month, the United States lost 700,000 jobs. The month before, uh, almost 900,000 jobs in December of 2008. Job losses uh, commenced in December of 2007, uh, maybe January of 2008. The U.S. began to lose jobs, uh, which accelerated through the end of the Bush presidency. Barack Obama took office, and uh, there were three months, the first three months of Obama's presidency, uh, where losses uh, were 700,000 or greater. In um, April of 2008, the job losses were cut to 300,000, and for the ensuing months after that began to... Uh, uh, make their way toward positive territory, basically reach break-even. No losses, no gains in um, October of 2009. So in roughly um, nine months after Obama took office, uh, the job losses stopped, and since then we've been positive, not hugely positive. We've been running around 200,000 jobs a month, <coughs> and... Um, and we got news just the other day, uh, another couple hundred thousand jobs. But but since since that time, since October of 2009 or nine months after he took office. So you'll have to decide whether that's a um, whether that's a defensible record or or not a defensible record. I take I take Barry's point that if you take the net losses that occurred early in Obama's presidency when he when he took office uh then then uh we may not be at net positive four million jobs uh but but again since the uh since the um october two thousand and nine time frame we've seen creation of about that number of jobs and jobs have continued to be created let's go back to the phones we've only got about fifteen minutes or so left uh Earl has been holding for a while let's take Earl on line five Earl welcome to the new capital show. Yeah, I will. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the bison were accidentally saved from extinction. Nobody realized how close to extinction they were. Yeah, do you know that story, Earl? Yeah, the, the, the Native American man got into a fight with his wife, and then he stomped off and realized he needed to figure out some way to get back home. So he rounded up a her small herd of bison and presented them as a present to her. Yeah, that's not the story I know. Uh, the story I know is that there were a group of uh, women... Uh, conservationists in Boston who who uh, heard that the last remaining bison herd uh, survived in the number of maybe 15 or so in Yellowstone. <clears throat> and I think they petitioned Teddy Roosevelt. I think this is the story. They petitioned Teddy Roosevelt to, to save this last remnant of bison on, on Earth. Uh, and, um, and I think they did so. And so now we have Far larger bison herds. Uh, there is some issue that that there may have been some interbreeding with cattle, and they're not exactly the purebred strain. Oh, not only cattle, but with uh, Canadian bison, the woodland. There is woodland bison, yeah. and plains bison. Yeah, there was some interbreeding. Yeah, but, uh, but but I mean, we're headed this area. We're headed this direction, of course, on elephants and rhinos and tigers, and we just don't seem to learn as as people. And um, I I would just. Uh, if you're interested, and there are many, many groups in the United States now working on this issue of species extinction, uh, I'm a supporter of Wild Aid, W-I-L-D-A-I-D. They're based in San Francisco, and that's just one. You can check them out. They do, in my judgment, a very good job. But, I mean, it's going to take government action, and it is a heartbreaking thing to me. I, I simply put my head in my hands. Uh, I, I've written friends in the past couple of days. I've written one friend who used to be the investment banker for Walmart, and I wrote him and I said, "Look, I don't want to strain our friendship. I, I I value our friendship, but I would appreciate it if you would consider letting your high executives know at Walmart to to tell the Chinese that this is not acceptable behavior, because let's face it, Earl, uh, we have bought and bought and bought from the Chinese uh, products. Uh, we have shipped jobs and jobs and jobs out of the United States over to China." And uh, we have played a part in empowering China to to uh, to behave in this way and to purchase ivory and and uh, animal body parts all over the world of, of species that are going extinct. 
Um, we have facilitated that in our own way, and and we have to wake up and understand that we have a role to play. Yeah, that's that's why Soylent Green is such a good movie. You know, remember the '73 one with uh, yep. Charlton Heston. And the whole point is that the last rest resource of uh, a dying earth is uh, cannibalism. Yep. Earl, great to have you. Thanks for the call. Yeah. You know, look, sounds morbid, but. <laughs> We, uh, we get rid of everything else, although I don't think we'll ever get rid of cows and pigs and chickens. You know, if you're if you're a human pet or a human or or if you're a human pet or human food domesticatable, uh, you're safe. Anything else, look out. We are coming to get you. Uh, Lydney is on six. Hey, Lydney. Hello, I'm enjoying your show. Thanks. Um, I had a couple of questions for you. Um, what's your response to people when they say we, they don't want us to become a nanny state or I work hard for my money. I don't want it going towards those who don't work for their money, you know, for their, uh, living. Um, and what kind of repercussions would our society see if we, uh, diminish the social safety net? Well, it's a big question, Lydney. Um, it's a very, very, very big question. Uh, I'm not uh, totally qualified to answer it. Um, I, I, I think that in in any advanced democracy, <coughs> there is a recognition of uh, something called statistics and bell curves. Um, a bell curve describes a population. If we were to take all of the people in this country and take their heights, we would find that there's an average uh, and that most people stack up and bunch up around the average, and we'd find that there are a bunch of people that are outliers. And the outliers are also known as the tails because they're the tails of the probability distribution. And you're going to have some people who are extremely tall, seven feet and taller, and you're going to have some adults who are extremely short. You know, it could be... Four, four feet and under, three and a half feet and under, I don't know. Uh, and it's the same thing. It's going to be the same thing in the area of wealth. There's going to be a dis probability distribution that describes the wealth profile of people in the United States. And, and so what social policy is designed to do is to, um, is to modify those tails so that if we have people who have nothing and then people increase you know if you go down the curve lydney people who who uh who are maybe don't have nothing but are not able to make it what ideally social policy should do needs to do has to do if you're going to have a stable society <coughs> is to modify the effects of that probability distribution and that idea is offensive to to a bunch of uh, people, that's okay. It's their right to believe that. But that idea that we would help people on some part of that that probability distribution change their circumstances uh, through grants of resources, through reallocation of resources, is offensive in their worldview. Um, and 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 and, I, and I, if you have that worldview, I understand. I understand why you feel that way. But but as I have grown and I hope matured as a person, I've come to see that that um we truly are all interconnected and and yeah. that none of us is an island and uh frank i you know i hate to say i agree with the you know the democratic national convention lockstep but the idea that we're all in this together i think is correct and so yeah, like that that. Is, that is the goal of social policy you could say we're going to have no social policy in this country uh and it's not the the point of the government to do that i appreciate that point i understand it it's not the, it's not my belief. My belief is yeah. that govern the role of government is there to help uh, social policy. Now, having said that, government has to be able to carry out social policy effectively and with mm -hmm. with personnel who know how to get things done. Yeah, with results. With results. Yeah, I, think, I think that thinking stems from selfishness and fear. And it, I, being born in the seventies, I remember Republicans uh, boasting properly compassionate conservatives. And they've lost that, and it, it breaks my heart. Lydney, thanks for the call. Thanks. Um, I I don't know if they've lost compassion or uh, they've lost empathy. Uh, those are two different things. <clears throat> empathy is the ability to identify with somebody else. It's the ability to to understand their pain and their suffering. And um, 
and we, we need more empathy. We need more understanding about what other people are going through and, and, and how to help them. Um, everybody's got good points to make. I happen to find myself in a place where I believe that, that, that good social policy is, is important in a modern democracy. I'd like to see people who are in government, frankly, make more money. I think if you're going to get qualified people, if you're going to get some of our most talented, best thinkers, you're going to have to pay them what they would be making in the private sector. And that's one of the problems uh, we have is that you, you can't go in to government positions and make money. And so what happens, people go into government, then they leave government, they feel like they got to make up for all that lost time, they become lobbyists and influence peddlers, you know. And, and now they're no longer using their skills and their insight to help the people in general, they're using it to help specific interest groups. It's a big, big problem. Let's go to Susie, holding on line four. Susie, welcome to the New Capital Show. Susie, you there? Whoop, she's got her. She's got a delay going on. All right, Susie, give us a call back, and we'll uh, we'll pick you up. Next is Rex. Rex, welcome to the New Capital Show. Hey, Leo. <laughs> I'm doing good. How are you? You're still coughing, man. A little bit, I am, yeah. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. Uh, let's see. I want to get back on topic on Bill Clinton. You bet. Before I do that, let me say about Seattle. i got to say it's the only city I've ever been in that's harder to drive around in than Houston. Yeah, it's really – it is jam-packed. They've got a big They've got a big transportation problem, Rex. And I was, I was surprised that they have not put in more public transportation infrastructure there, trains going over the over Lake Washington, and, and but they haven't done it. And so uh, Seattle is not perfect. It is it is a very traffic clogged city, uh, and and it's sandwiched between the Puget Sound and Lake Washington. There's not a lot of ways you can go uh, to to get places. And so yeah, I agree with you. Okay. And then earlier on, you were talking about making your own pencil. Yeah. Can you do it? Anybody call it? Can I do it? No. Can you make? But your... I did want to tell you that that metal <laughs> thing on there isn't the flange. Oh. Fair rule. The fair rule, that's the word. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, and then, now, on Clinton. Can you make your own fair rule, Rex? Uh, no, well, I can't. I mean, what would it take to make a fair rule, right? You'd have to mine the, you'd have to mine the metal, right? Refine yep. it. Smelt it. Smelt it and uh, uh, pound it and uh, cut it, right? Yep. All those things, and then you'd have cast to it. F- cast it and, f- and then um, uh, engra- weld, it, weld it and engrave it. I mean... I I'd be out of commission, at, you know, at step two. So yeah, let's see, let's see, let's see all those independent uh, conservatives uh, make a pencil. <laughs> Go ahead. Right. Uh, oh, Clinton. Yeah, uh, I think Barry needs to get his facts from uh, real people instead of from the uh, Fox News. Uh, Clinton's speech was heavily fact-checked by Politifact and by uh, factcheck.org, and they, they did uh, kind of uh, give him a nudge on the four and a half million jobs. Uh, noted that he did qualify that with four and a half million private sector jobs. We've lost a lot of public sector jobs. Yes. Uh, but uh, what Clinton did is he started counting at the lowest point, which was sometime in 2010, rather than at the official end of the recession in 2009, or at the beginning of Obama's terms, and only an absolute uh, 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 right-wing radical would say that uh, Obama is to blame for the first three or four months of his presidency for job losses. I mean, the man barely had his books unpacked by the time that uh, that happened. Right, and that's why I tried to give a fuller picture uh, to Barry's comments, um, exactly along the lines that 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 you, that you are making that. Uh, in the first in the first three months of his presidency, we had job losses of seven hundred thousand jobs right. for the first three months of that, uh, and then and then we had a drastic drop in the in the losses in April of that year. Uh, only three, I say only, you know. Uh, but if you look at the chart, uh, the the nadir was in December of two thousand and eight, and we've been cutting job losses, and we went positive, as I said, around. October of 2009, which was about nine months after Obama took office when we went break-even, and we've been uh, positive to the tune of about, on average, 200,000 jobs a month created. And and as you point out correctly, Rex, we have lost an enormous number of public sector jobs. I mean, that's the Something great... Like a million. Yeah, that's the great irony here, is that is that uh, Republicans and conservatives are growing crazy about the government. Uh, we have actually cut 
public sector payrolls dramatically at, at, at almost all levels, city, federal, and state, uh, since President Obama took office. And, and this is Paul Krugman's point, which is this is insanity. Uh, we, we could, we could have many more people working if we hadn't laid off people in the public sector. Teachers, yep. firemen, policemen, yep. all kinds of folks. Uh, another fact that was checked on Clinton was the 66 million jobs, and PolitiFact says, for whatever reason, it's absolutely correct. Yeah. 66 million jobs. Right, Go dating back to 1960. Rex, great to have you. Thanks for uh, well, chiming well, I do. I do yep. want to point out two things. Mm -hmm. One of them is that Clinton's speech was great, but so was Elizabeth Warren's, and so was Sandra Flux. Yeah. That was incredible. Yep, good speeches last night. We'll see what happens tonight. Uh, I think I will be tuned in. I'm pretty sure I will. Uh, if I can stay up late, you know, I'm getting old. <laughs> Rex, old. thanks for the call. All right. Okay, Susie is uh, back. Let's give her a try. Susie. Hi, Leo. How are you? I'm doing good. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I did listen to Clinton's speech. and uh, Right, he's a very good orator, but mostly he's a very good speaker that speaks to the masses, and anyone that can speak to the masses becomes very powerful in delivering the message yep. yep so that was great i really enjoyed it and um i think he uh the, the president that he brought up the fact that the president um helped the auto business in turn you know turning out more jobs i think that was great and i also um was glad that he brought up the fact about the dreamers that they're giving a chance to also add to the economy by educating them and uh, helping them to become people that can also serve our country. Susie, thanks for the call. Very impressed. Great but to have you. There's one more thing I wanted to say. Well, I want to move along. I want to get uh, one more call in. Is that okay? Well, Would, would you mind? I've only got a minute left. I just wanted to compliment you uh, and say that I think that you're also a very good person. Oh, thank you. For that, I will let you stay on the air, Susie. Thanks for the call. Thank you. We can always have some time for some, some compliments. Uh, we got one minute left. I'm going to let Justin bring it on home. Justin, you got about 20 seconds. Hey, sir, how are you? I'm doing good. What's on your mind? Uh, I was just calling to say, you know, I've been paying attention to both parties. I watched both uh, conventions. And uh, this will be the first time, 50 years old, first time in my life I'm going to vote Democrat. Oh. Uh, the reason being is Romney, you know, gets me after the election. He said that. And uh, that really uh, kind of wears on me a little bit. Obama, he did get handed a, a real sandwich, yeah. so to speak. And, uh, you know, I, like, I didn't vote for the guy, but he had a lot on his plate. I respect what he's done. And uh, after watching Clinton last night, I, I think I have a lot of respect for where, where he's taking it because... Yep. Got to go, Justin. I appreciate right, it. Thanks night. for the call. A lot of people uh, considering how they want to vote, who they want to go for, and uh, Justin is one of those. Thanks for tuning in today. Up next, KPFT Local News, followed by Al Jazeera. And rebroadcast the democracy now. That does it. See you next week. You can't kick this ball, but it will roll. The second annual Deadbeat Ball is the ball I'm talking about. It all happens Saturday, September 15th at Dan Electro's Guitar Bar, located at 1031 East 24th Street in the Heights. This KPFT benefit will feature Big Little Rock, an acoustic round with Lisa Morales, Brad Boyer, and Matt Harlan, Ezra Charles, Sean Pander, with special guest Luke George, the son of Little Pete's Lowell George, Richard Cagle and the Voodoo Choir, and First Trip. The $20 door fee is for KPFT. KPFT and the music is for your inner ear. No, you can't kick this ball, but you can dance to it while it's rolling. So we'll see you Saturday, September 15th at Dan Electro's. Community Radio, 90.1 KPFT, Houston. Usted trabaja duro por su dinero, y cuando usted invierte, es natural que tenga ciertas demandas. Usted quiere asegurarse que su dinero se administre responsablemente y espere ver lo que invirtió crezca algo que traerá beneficios en lo largo para usted y su familia. Invirtiendo en KPFT le regresa cada vez que escucha. No importa si es por la música o noticias o por la información de lo que pase aquí en el costo del Corfo. KPFT ha estado transmitiendo desde el 1970 y ha crecido muy cerca a la comunidad que sirve. Por favor, renueve su membración o haga su primer contribución ahora con una llamada que solo toma dos minutos. Llame a 713-526-4000, extensión 314, o puede visitarnos en nuestra página kpft.org. 
Muchísimas gracias. Esto es 